Welcome to the maiden voyage of the first The Real Forno Show. I'm your host, Tyler Fornis. With me is trusty producer Dave. We are going to be carrying on the tradition of Mock Draft Monday here throughout the rest of draft season. We're going to be talking cornerbacks. We're going to be talking wide receivers, how they stack up, and how the Vikings might be targeting them. And we are going to finish, as I alluded to earlier, with a mock draft. So get ready, get your draft hat on, and get prepared as we fade to black. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Tyler Fornis, contributor at NBC Sports Edge and USA Today's Vikings Wire, along with being a member at Climbing the Pocket. Welcome aboard the Maiden Voyage. I am Tyler Fornis. As I said earlier, with me is the trusting producer, Dave. And we are sponsored by Lake Monster Brewing, where I had the pleasure of meeting Joe personally yesterday at the brewery. It is a really nice place, and it's got a fantastic patio, which I highly recommend you check out once summer gets here. Dave, my man, how are you? I'm doing great. And one thing about Lake Monster, not only do they have a fantastic patio, plus inside, they've got great beer. And mm-hmm. hey, what's not to like with great beer? Place to make friends, make memories, you know, and drink some of the best beer in Minnesota. Yes, absolutely. I had the Como Claw Pilsner, which was a, just a really nice, crisp refresher. As some of you may know, I run a liquor store. I drink craft beer all the time, and sometimes it's just nice to have something crisp and refreshing. They did a fantastic job with that Como Claw. And my wife had the hot apple cider ale, which was very weird, but very good, yeah. where it is it is an ale, but it is hot apple cider. So it's served in a thermal cup, so you don't hurt your hand. It was really interesting, and I thought it was a really cool take on a traditional Minnesota winter favorite. Well, you talk about refreshing. Try their uh, sour fruit ales, the the juicy ones. That according to mm-hmm. Matt Lang, his partner is heavy into that, and they're supposedly real good and real refreshing, especially after a hot day, long work, you're hot and sweaty, work up sweat. They all fucking hit the spot perfectly. Pardon my language, but that's what I'm being told. Hey, yeah, Drew, I just want to point out weird is not bad. Weird is good. I am weird. I mean, look look at me. I'm 32 years old. I've got uh, I've got flow. I've got Warren Moon, my favorite football player of all time because of the Tecmo Super Bowl. Like, it's okay to be weird. It's not an insult. Uh, like, I really like unique elements to beer. Um, it's one of the reasons why the Brewing Project is one of my all-time uh, favorites because they do so many different things, especially with their sours. Dave, I love sours. So uh, when we go to the draft show, that is probably going to be what I focus on, and it's going to be a really good time. Uh, so, guys, moving forward, this is going to be a little bit of a different format. Um, if you have questions kind of relating to the subjects that we're talking about, please put them in. In the chat, I will try to get to as many of them as I can throughout the course of the discussion. Nick, I'm sorry I made you feel old. Um, I, I feel old sometimes, too. So, uh, Joseph, you're just going to have to come and fly up for the draft show, which, Dave, we need to talk to the people about. Because as of right now, we are we have a fantastic show lined up, and it's only going to get better through time. April 29th, 5.30, a half hour before day two starts, we are going to be going live from Lake Monster Brewing throughout the the course of day two talking second and third round we're also going to be talking vikings we're going to be talking to high ranking members of vikings media about the the course of the draft for the vikings it's going to be a really really good time yes absolutely i can't wait of course i'll be here but we're working on setting things up this week wednesday for vikings happy hour we're going to try take two from the brewery Take one went okay. We're tweaking up, improving the our gear and content, and it should be fabulous, as they say out in Los Angeles. Yes, absolutely. It is going to be a great time. I look forward to meeting all of you out there. Now, let's kind of get to the topic of the day quick, Dave, which I forgot to mention in the intro. 
and that is the Vikings signed three free agents today. They signed two cornerbacks. Um, I don't have their names in front of me. Uh, Nate Hairston yes, out of the Broncos and uh, Ty Smith. Yes. Are the two. Jerome, I appreciate the compliment on the flow. I, I whipped it back just for you. Uh, it's I, I, I love long hair. It's, it's really fun. Plus, it's Minnesota. Uh, I look like I, sh- I should be coaching the Mighty Ducks, which really nice. Yes, uh, the two cornerbacks are expected to provide depth, and Hairston has um, slot uh, safety versatility. Um, kind of think a uh, poor man's honey badger. He's gonna cu- he has the similar skill set. He is not on the same level talent wise. So don't don't get that confused. But to it's a good understanding of what yeah he does play. Uh, Jonas joining us live from Europe. Thank you very much. Um, yes. If Hamilton is somehow there at 12 and he doesn't run the draft card up, I will be very upset now. I'll probably be screaming on the draft show live. It will not be a very fun time. Just uh, if you remember uh, how much I screamed when uh, Elijah Vera Tucker wasn't the Viking selection and we didn't take a guard in the first round. It's going to be that kind of passion, but the exact opposite feeling. Um, the main topic that we're going to talk about with these guys, Jesse Davis. Now, Davis is a uh, going into his sixth year uh, out of Idaho played with the Dolphins for uh, all of his career. He's got tackle guard versatility, but this is essentially your Dakota Dozier slash Rashad Hill replacement. He's going to be given an opportunity to compete for the starting job, but you probably don't want him to do it. Uh, Described by uh, a Dolphins writer that uh, I respect highly, his name is Dante Colinelli. He described Jesse Davis as a traffic cone. So we went from turnstile and Dakota Dozier to traffic home with Jesse Davis. Um, he allowed, I believe, 34 pressures last year, and he had the fourth highest pressure rate of all offensive linemen graded out by pro football focus. Yeah, but at what position? Not exactly good. Guard. At left guard. No, no. He, he, was, he was left guard for two games, right tackle for the majority. For the His majority. best season came, I believe, in 2018 when he was a guard full-time. So – Correct. And All what side was he a guard full-time? I believe that was right guard. Right guard. What I'm seeing yeah. here is, right as of right now, that's your penciled-in starter at right guard. Mm-hmm. He's, it is uh, your penciled-in starter at right guard. And he's making uh, his contract's $3 million, probably about 2 and a half generally, plus there's it's it's one and a half. Plus incentives, blah, blah, blah. But it'll basically be about two and a half. But as of right now, I see him as our right guard. And his right guard scores, especially in 2018, which was his best season, mm-hmm. he scored a 69.3 on pass blocking. That's an improvement over what we have. His results as a tackle are horrible. Um they're in the 50s. They're nothing to write home about. Wyatt Davis is going to actually have to compete for the job. I was telling Darren Campbell, my partner on Saturdays, that it's probably going to be between Davis, Davis, and Udo for that right guard spot, and the losers are going to be your swing guys, whether it be a guard or tackle. Uh, so... We'll see from there. I hope Wyatt Davis, who it was reported came in last year, out of shape, not prepared, couldn't make the jump. Everybody that watched him, all the beat writers said he was horrible in training camp. Uh, mm-hmm. I argued that he should be able to get in shape, you know, sometime during the season. They said he didn't. You know, he barely made the lineup on special teams. He should be able to improve. He's supposedly been down here in Dallas working with a trainer and an offensive line coach. So hopefully he comes in ready to compete because I want him to win the job. I want him to be better than everybody else. But Mm -hmm. as Courtney reported, there were draft scouts in the building that said Wyatt Davis wasn't even backup level in the NFL. And there's some guys that come to the NFL and they never make the transition. We agree to that. That happens. But when a guy's two-time mm-hmm. All-American, you should think he should make the transition. 
Now, what Courtney reported was that there are scouts that didn't, you know, like I said, didn't even make backup. But she also reported that Rick Spielman was the one that made the call and selected Wyatt Davis. Well, if he selected Wyatt Davis, he saw a reason to. Now, was it valid or was it Rick being Rick? We don't know. Rick is gone. Those two scouts, however, or multiple scouts, are still with the team as of now because all the scouting staff was retained from the old regime until we get through the draft. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. It is something that me, who focuses on the big round bellies, will be heightened to look for through training camps, uh, through OTAs, and then into training camp. Absolutely. And the weird thing about Wyatt Davis is, and I'll say this about NFL scouts, they're not perfect. Neither are we in the media. So there is a, a lot of differences in kind of how you, you perceive players. I'll say this much. I don't doubt that Courtney was giving correct information. I bet there were two scouts that said that they didn't even have a backup grade on Wyatt Davis. My point of contention was I don't really understand how you can watch his play at Ohio State over the course of those two years and understand that in 2020, uh, he was dealing with a knee injury throughout the year. And because of all those things, I don't understand how you can look at his tape and think a guy who looked like he was going to be a first-rounder got taken in the third round wasn't even going to project to be a backup in the National Football League. That part I don't want to understand. He was technically sound. He was an above-average athlete. He was physical. He was strong. He had a lot of those characteristics that you really look for in a guard. Was he a great fit for the wide zone? No. Can he play wide zone? Yes. I don't understand why you, would, you wouldn't even have a backup grade on him. But at the end of the day, they had their reasons, and I don't know what they are, so it's really hard for me to give true criticism. But I I don't understand it. That's why I can't wait to watch it. For me, watching the O-line develop under this new regime is number one on my list. But that's I want to see him. I want to see him gel. I want to see him get good. Not only because if the off, offensive line gets good, all those weapons behind it automatically get better. Yeah, I agree. And then uh, I'll answer this question uh, from Drew really quick before we get into the corners. Um, when are we drafting a center or a guard? I I think the earliest we were drafted is in the mid-20s. Um, that's when the value starts to actually kind of match up with the talent on the board. Um, initially, I thought Linderbaum might be a guy that would be in play at 12 because of his nasty play style. And I think the impact he can have on an offensive line could be – it eerily similar to what Quentin Nelson's did. They're not the same player. They're not the same talent. But that mentality, that ability to hold down your position to let other guys um, feel more comfortable and confident around you, I think would have been a really nice addition to this offensive line. Um, I'll say this. The Vikings with a trade back might be uh, thinking offensive line in the middle, in the end of that first round. Otherwise, second round has some good value. Kenny Green at Texas A&M is a guy to keep an eye on if he ends up getting into the second round. He's got guard tackle versatility, and I think he could potentially be an all-pro at guard down the line, which is a really, really nice find in round two. But it's possible he could go at 24 to the Cowboys, who need offensive line help in the worst way after losing out on Leo Collins. Travis Federick retired a couple years ago, and that really set them back. Connor Williams is gone. That offensive line now really needs work, and they got to protect Dak Prescott. So that's that's kind of where I see it. It wouldn't be surprised if they don't address offensive line until day three because they have three picks on day one and, and two. And there are a lot of positions that you need to fill. And it's not just about this year. It's about long term. If you have an edge guy that falls to round three that should have been taken like fringe round one, round two based on your board, you take you that guy. Yeah. You don't even worry about it. Because those guys don't grow on trees. And if you have great ones, as we found with Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin in 2017, makes mm -hmm. all the difference. So it it's going to be really interesting to see how the board falls because that is going to um, really determine a lot. Uh, Shane, uh, Strange Joseph, good football player. Um, really showed out at the, at the Senior Bowl. We'll get into offensive line here um, down the line. But we're going to talk corners and receivers today because, one, they are two of the more 
uh, whatchamacallit, uh, positions of positions high value. Yes, per valuable position. EPA, expected mm-hmm. points added or subtracted in the way of corners. Yep, absolutely. And two, there are two positions the Vikings need. Um, cornerback, we obviously fortified the position pretty nicely today by adding uh, two depth pieces, but we still need some higher-end players. Now, here's the nice part about the scheme that Ed Donatel brings to the Minnesota Vikings. It is not like Mike Zimmer's scheme. You don't need great corners. You just need good ones. You need capable ones. Guys like Kyle Fuller at age 30 were able to thrive uh, with Vic Fangio. You just need good players that can run within the system. They're afforded help over the top and with zone, and they're not going to be asked to do a lot of uh, different nuanced things. Um, And you don't have to go corner right away. You don't have to go and get Sauce Gardner or take the swing with Derek Singley Jr., who I have my qualms with, and we'll get to that in a second. You can take a safer player like Trent McDuffie. I would prefer that not be at 12. I would prefer an edge rusher, but you can take a shot in round two. And maybe a guy like Roger McCreary, you just deal with the arm length because he's feisty and he's really talented. And at the absolute worst, he's going to be a slot guy for you. Maybe Andrew Booth or Kyer Elam fall to that mid-second round range, both of whom I believe are better uh, than where they're going to be selected because I think those guys should be top 20 picks. But every not everybody can go where the value is for them. Some guys are going to fall. Some guys are going to rise based on a lot of different variables and factors. So this corner class is really interesting. At the top, you have Sauce Gardner. Sauce Gardner's comp, best comp is going to be Richard Sherman. They both have insane length. They're both tall, have adequate speed for the position, with Sauce Gardner running a sub-4-5, which was very, very good to see. And the nice part about uh, Sauce in comparison to Richard Sherman is Sauce thrives in man coverage. He wants to get his hands on. He wants to punch you in the mouth, and he wants to prevent you really from getting into your route. And then once the ball comes his way, he's going to take it. Uh, he had three interceptions this past year, and he didn't allow a touchdown in over 8,000. Count with me. 1,000 coverage snaps. Now, that that wow. is a very tremendous thing. I don't really care if it was at Cincinnati. I don't care if it was you know, in a smaller conference, you play division one football and you don't allow a touchdown. Very, very, very impressive. Uh, Sam just asked, why do some conceal Elam more of a project? Let's talk about Kyrie Elam. I don't get it. I think Kyrie Elam is the, uh, he's either going to be my third or fourth best corner in this class. He and Andrew Booth Jr. Are both tremendous. Um, I, in fact, they may even uh, eclipse Stingley that uh, Elam is an odd case because Florida played bad this year. They were six and seven after the bowl loss to UCF, but they also were a two point conversion away from tying Alabama with a minute left to go. Like this was a very, very weird football team that really collapsed because Dan Mullen just lost control of everything. And he refused to recruit, which was one of the dumbest things in the world for a college coach at a major program. Uh, Elam's tremendous in press coverage. He's he's sticky. He's feisty. He's got really good ball skills, and he can play offense too. And has a really nice click and close ability. And that's the big thing with Andrew Booth, who we're going to talk about here next. That click and close, where hey, he's just set in his zone, and he sees the balls coming. He explodes out of the block and is able to jump and use his ball skills to really prevent the catch. And I think that's the really nice part about uh, Andrew Booth Jr. in comparison to other guys is that click and close ability is tremendous. Uh, he's a little bit smaller. He's a shade under six feet. Uh, but I love the athleticism and, and ball skills that Andrew Booth Jr. brings. I worry about him a little bit if you're only going to play man coverage, but this scheme is going to allow both man and zone, and I think Booth can thrive there. Um Biggest thing, Dave, when you're talking about the top of this quarterback class is Derek Stingley Jr. Mm -hmm. Derek Stingley Jr.'s 2019 tape would have had him drafted second overall in 2020 behind only his teammate Joe Burrow. He was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Six interceptions, locked down elite-level receivers, including the Alabama guys who, remember, 
that team had Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devonta Smith, and Jalen Waddell. Whoever he was up against, he was locking them down. Just a tremendous athlete. But over the last two years, he his tape regressed. It did not get better. It got worse. Part of that was because of injuries. Um, he had a lingering hamstring issue his sophomore year, and that hamstring affected him a little bit his junior year. But then he had a Liz Frank injury where it wasn't necessarily a break. It sounds like it was tendon-related. But I'll tell you, a Liz Frank injury for a guy who moves like Derek Stingley Jr. is very scary to me. And because of that tape regression, now if his tape was just as good in 2020 and or 2021, I'd look past it. But it it never got to that same level. Uh, And I don't want to take him at 12. I don't want to take him in the top 20. I'll let somebody else take that risk because the risk is you either get a boom player like Darrell Revis or you Mm -hmm. get a bust. And I'm not willing to take that risk because I personally don't have enough information in order to make that and quantify it. I would rather, with how this scheme is set up, I would rather take edge rusher. I would rather take wide receiver and wait on corner until round two because you don't have to have great ones. And corners right away really struggle. I Yes, I, out of I would I would out of first round draft that. choices generally struggle. There's only a real small percentage that score that grade seventy percent or above in PFF system. That is that is normal. If and you mm-hmm. want a guy that can, you know, you want a guy that can score seventy or above. Is Stingley the guy? He's PFF's number one corner in their pre-draft. And their draft guide. And yeah. if if he falls to twelve, they're saying anybody that needs corner needs to run up to that podium and slap his name down quick. But you run the risk, like you said, a lens franc issue um, is where the tendon attaches to the bone in the middle of the foot and it pulls up and it generally causes a crack in the bone. It can completely separate and take a chunk out of the bone. Or it could stay there and crack. Now, how's that healed? If it heals all right, um, he'll be fine, right? If it doesn't, you're running into problems because he can sit there and walk and be in pain or run and then suddenly collapse because of the pain. You don't know. I'm curious, Drew, where did you have uh, um, Stingley on your draft board since you're watching? Yeah, please share that information. I'm going to uh, take that while Drew gets that information to us and answer next question. Why? What do I say about the rumors about Stingley not loving football? I don't care. Like, uh, but I guess there are also levels to it. Is he only doing it for the money? Is he not going to put in work? Or is it one of those issues where he doesn't love football because he's got outside interests? Hey, maybe this guy loves music. Maybe he loves art. Maybe he loves baseball. Maybe like, maybe he loves to cook. Like, maybe he enjoys landscaping. Like, there are so many different routes that this conversation can go. If he has outside interest, good. I want complete human beings on my team. I don't want football robots. Like, right. that's a good thing in my opinion. I don't want it to overtake his life so football suffers. But if you have outside interest, that's good. It means a healthy human being more mm-hmm. often than not. So, I don't care. Like, Kayvon Thibodeau has outside interest, too. I don't care, because what you see on the field is a tremendous football player, and most reports are that he's a hard worker. There's some out of Oregon, which I haven't been able to actually talk to any any direct sources about this, but they're saying that he's not a hard worker. He could have done more. You know, did he just upset some people in the building? Were they frustrated with him, and they just decided to um, extrapolate things? Because what you see on tape is a very aggressive, hardworking player but you don't see the behind the scenes. So it's it's a very interesting dichotomy trying to dissect those. And one thing you also have to deal with uh, when talking about uh, players is it's unfortunate, and I'm not going to say that anybody in these situations are being um, impacted by it, but there are racist undertones with some of these things. And you have to be very careful on who you're listening to and who you're believing because some people don't have great intentions. Um, we've been seeing it for years. Lamar Jackson was told he should move to receiver uh, by Bill Polian. Mm-hmm. Like, we just got to be careful and understand where some of these things are coming from and then try and quantify it from there. 
So um, one last quarterback I'm going to get to, and Dave, but hold what on. was that? People are afraid because Matt Khalil scarred this fan base because he came yeah. in, had the outstanding year, and then from there on in there was reports he didn't like football. He was just in it to make money, and he obviously did. Um, and we're hoping that the team, that all the players are in it for the love of the game as well. It's just, it's one of those things. That's why people bring it up. I understand that. You understand that. But I agree with you. Hey, a well-rounded player is outstanding. You want these people to be real-life people um, outside of football. Football isn't everything. Yes, they're doing it for their jobs, but most of you that are watching don't live your job 24-7 or don't want to. Uh, you know, you want life outside that. You want your family. You want your interests. You want your hobbies. You you want to be a normal person, right? And it's healthy to have outside interests besides football. And that's a good thing. And I, w- I would want to find players that are just the same, that have those outside interests besides, because it adds to life. It, it brightens life. You're not just a single um you know, down the road, this is all I do type of deal. You're you're more rounded. And more rounded people tend to make better decisions off the field and on the field. So it's a good thing. Yeah, I, I 100% agree that it's a good <laughs> thing. Um, that Two more corners, then we're going to move on to wide receivers because we still have a mock draft to get to tonight. Um, Trent McDuffie, cornerback Washington. He's being mocked to the Vikings a lot. In fact... Mm-hmm. So far, with my mock draft tracker, only Derek Stingley Jr. has been mocked more to the Vikings than Trent McDuffie, per the experts, with Stingley a remarkable 15 times and McDuffie at 8. So, McDuffie is a very popular pick. He reminds me, as a player, of Jair Alexander. They play a very similar style. They're very similarly built. Alexander has a little bit more length, but they're both feisty. They're both sticky in coverage. They're both really aggressive at the catch point. McDuffie is feels like a very safe cornerback prospect because he's just going to be a solid player. And at the very worst, he's going to be able to go inside, but I think you should start him on the outside. So uh, McDuffie's a really interesting option, but I think he'd probably be better with the trade down, which we'll explore here moving forward, the different trade possibilities and what those options could be. Um, and then last cornerback that I want to talk about is Tariq Wollin um, from UTSA. Um, Dave, I don't know if you have a graphic. For I him, do not have him. Then that is my fault. But let me tell you about Tariq Wallen. He's almost 6'4. He's 210 pounds. He ran a, I believe it was a 4'3140 yard dash. Just insane athleticism. But he's played the corner position for two years, and he has plays where he looks like Darrell Rivas, and he has plays where he looks like Waswasarwanga because he doesn't have <laughs> any kind of technical prowess or just enough reps to understand how to play the position yet. He's going to be a project. He's going to take time. But if you're able to extract anything close to his potential, you're going to have a a pro bowl level cornerback because just on athleticism alone, he's phenomenal. Uh, And that's going to be a guy that could end up sneaking in the first round, um, similar to what Antonio Cromartie was back in the mid-2000s, guy who played receiver and corner, both for Florida State, and then the Chargers drafted him to play corner, and then he ended up becoming an all-pro. So that is a very interesting potential for Wolin. So um, it's something to really keep an eye on. Um, you hear it first. If the Vikings take him, you heard it right here. Um, mm-hmm. Now, let's talk. Purple A's talked about Donatelle. Explain how Donatelle's defense uses corners and how that differs from Mike Zimmer's defense. Mike Zimmer's defense really uh, asked a lot of corners. They wanted the corners to play on an island more often than not. They wanted corners to be physical. They wanted them to stick with receivers. And it was Mike Zimmer was such an exotic blitzer, which is going to be sorely missed because this team was the second in the NFL in sacks. And that was either after even after losing both Everson Griffin and Daniel Hunter, because Mike Zimmer could manufacture pressure. 
Now, what that does to a defense is puts extra stress on the corner position to be able to hold with your receiver by yourself without help over the top. What Ed Donatel's defense uh, is predicated on is the uh, the edge rushers really need to be dominant. Um, they need to uh, set the edge. They need to be great pass rushers and get pressure by themselves. And the corners are afforded a little bit more flexibility. They're afforded help over the top and over the middle. So that's why you don't need great corners. You need good ones. Well, and it's why I... As I is explained to me and how I saw Zimmer's defense, the corners are ones making real difficult decisions. A, B, C, if then do this, if that, do this, if this, do that, setups and the whole works. You know, if the whole play contact up until this point and then shed off to another guy or stick with your deal. There was a lot of thinking involved with the corner position. It's very difficult. It was the main position in the Zimmer defense that had to absolutely positively work, right? And then you had Harrison Smith as the uh, as the Swiss Army knife that fixed things in and other times. The Donatel difference, you're correct about the edge guys got to be good and apply pressure. We have two of the best right now, and Deal Neal Hunter and Sedarius Smith. They should be able to apply that. The, the difference in the corners are is the corners aren't the main focus, but the safeties are now the main focus. The safeties are the one directing if this pass covers that, you do this and you do that. And the corners are more um, – it's an easier – they're not thinking as much, right? So they're, they're doing their thing without having to make the decisions and the big chest moves that was in the Zimmer defense. That should make the – the play by the corner is not as necessary to be elite to be outstanding. They all need to be good to be outstanding. And we want outstanding play. And so I think that's going to be a plus when we get to seeing this stuff on the field. Yes, 100%. And this, how that corner room is shaped is really going to determine a lot for how this uh, – how this plays out. Um, last question for the corners. We need to get to receivers. We're going to make it kind of brief because I've talked a lot about receivers so far. Um, Drew asked with the deep cornerback group, could the Vikings wait till pick 46? Yes. I think, I think edge should be the priority over cornerback at, in the first round because there is no long-term answer at the edge position right now. Daniel Hunter is not secured to a long-term extension. Zedarius Smith, you can get out of that contract very easily after year one. I, you need long-term answers at edge. You don't have them. You could have them, but as of right now, you don't. So drafting a guy, even if you plan on keeping both of those players, would be very advantageous for your long-term future because you need more than just two pass rushers, as the Vikings showed last year. Now, let's move on to receivers. We're going to make this uh, kind of rapid fire, Dave. Um, my top receiver is from Ohio State, and his name is Chris Olave. Olave is a technical maven who it I relate a lot to Justin Jefferson because they're both going to get overlooked for some of the same things. Olave that is a little different in that he, he's got prospect fatigue. He could have been a first rounder last year, but he waited. He wanted to go win a national title for the Ohio State Buckeyes last year. They came up just a little bit short. But what was really right, intriguing dude. about Olave is he is explosive coming in and out of breaks. He can get jump balls, even though it's not necessarily his forte. He's got the requisite speed and athleticism to win over the middle and go deep. And he's, he's honestly, he's kind of boring, but it, boring in a good way because he just does everything so technically well. Um, I think he's just being an overlooked player in this class, and he's going to go in and potentially be the best wide receiver um, right away. I think that right now you could see all five of the top receivers go before uh, – I pick 21, which is the New England Patriots. The Vikings want a top-tier receiver. 12 is a good place to get it. Um, the next guy on that list, Jamison Williams, the wide receiver, Alabama. What's funny about Jamison Williams, some people have him as the best wide receiver in this class. He transferred to Alabama because he was number four in their receiver room. That is how insane that Ohio State wide receiver room was um, before the Williams ended up transferring to Alabama. Uh, he's a deep threat. 
Um, there's a, a lot of talk about the Chiefs targeting him to be the Tyreek Hill replacement. Um, it, there's a good chance he would have ran sub 4-3 at the combine if he didn't tear his ACL in the national championship game. He was He has this ability to start and stop that is kind of reminiscent of Tyreek Hill, where it's just explosive and it feels like he didn't even miss a beat. Um, he, he was burning cornerbacks in the SEC. He burned uh, Cincinnati. It, he was uh, burning Georgia, burned Kair Elam a couple times. Like This is a very, very good football player, incredibly explosive, needs a little bit more technical work with the underneath stuff. But when you have that kind of explosion over the top, it's okay to have to work on that technical element to really maximize your game. Uh, Joseph, I wanted to bring this up. Before we finish with wide receivers, I want you to answer this question. Which receiver would you prefer gone before the Packers' first pick? Because obviously, Chris Olave. Obviously, we know the Packers are going wide receiver. If not, I want Chris Olave gone because he would be put in that Devontae Adams role, and I think he would thrive. And it would be very painful to watch him destroy the Minnesota Vikings for the next next decade. Um, Jamison Williams is one that I think they will be high on because the size profiles. They really like bigger, faster receivers. Um, Drake London, I think, is going to be too slow for their profiler. Um, And we got to remember, as much as we don't like the Green Bay Packers, the only team that's potentially better than them at identifying wide receiver talent is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like The Packers are tremendous with that Ron Wolf model and finding and identifying great receivers. Um, Drake London is a really nice athlete, but... I don't think he's going to have that requisite athleticism to really give them what they're looking for based on that model. Will Gutekunst try and identify with that model or will they try and veer, veer outside of it? Like there's, there's some debate there. Garrett Wilson is like Calvin Ridley. Like it's somebody mentioned that comp to me. I think it was Connor Rogers of Bleacher Report and I just can't unthink it. Just a technical wizard who's explosive and uh, along the same lines as Olave kind of boring until he gets to the catch point, and he is dominant at the catch point. He is my wide receiver three behind only Chris Olave and the next guy I'm going to talk about, Traylon Burks. Burks. He's compared a lot to Debo Samuel. Um, Debo is a fantastic, versatile football player, tremendous in the open field. He didn't run the fastest 40 time, but that's okay because his speed is build up. So once he's in the open field, you're not going to catch him because he's already moving. It's what uh, they call the flying 20. That 20, the between the 20-yard split and the end of the 40. That's that flying 20. And that's where GPS tracking is really going to show how fast Traylon Burks is because you're not going to get it from the 40-yard dash. Um, <laughs> can, I, uh, can I interrupt this to answer that question? Yes. Gary, what was my favorite MRE? Uh, there's plenty. I always enjoyed the ham steak. But during the Gulf War, when we got the dehydrated pork patty, believe it or not, I love that dehydrated pork patty. Is the only thing with spice that you didn't have to add Tabasco sauce to. Um, anything dehydrated, I love dehydrated fruit, everything else. I've eaten everything from sea rats to the modern day MREs. There's good ones, as there's bad ones, and you always want that jar of hot sauce, which they're finally going back to, by the way. But thanks for the question, Gary. I appreciate it. Hey, uh, I'm, I'm glad you could relive your days of ham steak, because let me tell you, ham steak is better than milk steak. <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right, we got we got through Burks. We've really talked about the top five receivers. Um, let's talk about a couple uh, guys that you could also see sneak in around one, and then we're going to go to our mock draft, Dave. Um, Christian Watson, the NDSU wide receiver. At the Combine, during his podium, he compared himself directly to, to Debo Samuel. And you can see why when you watch the film. He was taking handoffs at 6'4", 208. He is able to seal block on the outside. He can, he can block edge rushers and set the edge, which is pretty impressive uh, for an X-type receiver like himself. He's got tremendous speed running a 4'3", 640. He can dip his hips running routes. He's great at the catch point, has soft hands, has some concentration drops, but that's something that, that can be fixed more than just having bad hands. <clears throat> Excuse me. Who's this? Um, I love Watson. Watson. Uh, what? Christian Watson. Yep. The one I forgot the to NDSU load. Wide receiver. Here we go. Hold yeah. on. There he is. Boom. There he is. 
Christian Watson, tremendous player. And if you go back and watch the senior bowl practices, oh my goodness, he was a star. He looked like one of the, the top three players at the senior bowl. Um, the other guy, the only receiver that I thought was better than Christian Watson throughout the week was uh, Calvin Austin III from Memphis. Now, athletically, he compares directly to Tyreek Hill. Now, when you look at, that's when you look at their relative athletic scores. Just across the board, everything athletically, agility, speed, 90th percentile or higher. This guy's a little bit smaller, and most of his uh, touches were manufactured uh, at Memphis. But even though they were manufactured, he was just tremendous. Uh, he ran a 4-3-1 40-yard dash, did a really, really good job in doing so. And I love um, I love him as a potential prospect. And one thing that's really intriguing to me is because of that speed, I think he could sneak into round one, be that guy who – there's always one guy who sneaks in that shouldn't be there. And I think that could be Calvin Austin, except I think he deserves it. Last guy, because Drew's being annoying, Sky Moore <laughs> out of Western Michigan. Asked. Yeah, he tested incredibly explosive. His jumps were phenomenal. He jumped uh, 41 and a half inches, I believe, in the vertical. Uh, really, really fast, explosive. Uh, now, when you watch his tape, he plays in the Mac and he's blowing by corners. But at the end of the day, when that matches up to track speed, it's okay that you're blown by those guys. You should. And he left him in the dust more often than not. He is. He ran in a really uh, air raid RPO heavy type of offense. A lot of slants, a lot of goes, outs, screens, and he excelled in all of them. He's going to need a little bit more time to run a full route tree, but you can utilize his explosiveness right away. And he's got really good hands. And then Joseph asked about Romeo Dubs. I like Dubs. I think he's going to be around a fourth round pick, and he's going to be a value to some team. He uh, ran a true air raid style offense at Nevada with Carson Strong, and just going to need a little bit of time. And he has to figure out his drop issue. Really bad his junior year. This past year improved, but it wasn't phenomenal. And the drops kind of showed up a little bit at senior bowl practices. So we'll see what he can do. Um, overall, this drops is a very, very good receiver class. From when I was coaching wide receivers, tight ends on catching, mm-hmm. all right, there's a couple things that contribute to drops. One is hand placement, how you catch the ball. Catch the ball out, bring it in. Um don't let it hit your chest, off your body. Some people like to do that. Um, catch it out, soft fingers, hands in the right placements, um, you know, to catch over, under, however. And the second thing is concentration. When the ball's coming, you're you're watching the ball come in. Got your eyes on the ball, right? And your ball's coming in. And you, you've got your hands up. Everything looks good. But then you're hearing footsteps from the linebacker or the corner or the safety, and you suddenly peek at that last second to see where they're at. Mm-hmm. And that's when the skip off the hand or skip off the pads comes and you got the drops. What's his issue? I think it's a little bit of that. I just I I think he needs to work on focusing and I think like Denzel Mims had an awful drop problem at Baylor um, two years ago. Uh, but like that was a combination of a lot of things. And I think Dubs is kind of the same way. He improved it this past year, but they're still not all the way gone. So I want to con- see him continue more with concentrating and just being smarter in the open field. You you can't run with the football unless you catch it first. Unless you catch it first. He continues to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I think then we'll really see some progress. But I think it could be a real value add uh, late day two, early day three, because this receiver class is going to push guys down. So remember, Stephon Diggs got pushed down because of, one, a very deep receiver class, and two, a little bit of injury history, like some soft tissue stuff. So because of that, the Vikings got incredible value in round five, and I think you could see a similar but dissimilar element with Romeo Dubs because this class is just so strong and you have some concerns with the drops then you can really get that taken care of uh, in in the middle rounds. But enough wide receivers, enough corners, Dave. I think, I think we know That's what time it is. Mock! Welcome 
Welcome to Climbing the Pockets Mock Draft Mondays. Who will the Vikings pick and who's your favorite choice? Here we go. Boom. We are doing a three-round mock draft for the Minnesota Vikings as we have been doing every week. And we will continue to do throughout the rest of the process. Dave. Until we get a fourth round pick, we're just going to keep doing three rounds because it's there's no point in doing round four without a pick. Until um, we uh, until so, we inevitably trade for one. Um, all right, let's facts. draft. All right, so uh, one thing if you've been following around with my around or following with my mock draft series with the Vikings Wire, I've been exploring different situations. Now these aren't uh, necessarily predictive mocks. These aren't necessarily going to be. Hey, this is what I would do. It's about identifying the board and prioritizing situations to get a really nice scope of what's going on. And this is why like these exercises can be really fun. Uh, tomorrow, I have the Vikings trading down with the Bills and selecting an edge rusher. And then they end up getting a second round pick. So make sure you, you check that piece out because it's going to like they explore different situations and how the Vikings can t- continue to build this thing. So let's take a look at the trade offers. Three six-round picks is a big, fat no. Um, even though it's moving down one spot. Just one I'm, spot. Yeah. We're not Rick Spielman. Um, <laughs> 98 is a third-round pick, but it's a compensatory. So that's something to really keep in mind. Um, when you're moving down that far, you want to get a real third-round pick, not a compensatory. So that's a no for me. Um, 20, that's a real third-round pick and a real fourth. I don't think that's enough value. They're more than likely coming up to get a quarterback. You want to get that first-round pick. Last year, the Bears gave up a fourth, a fifth, and a first to go up from 20 to 11. So 12 is not all that different. So when we take a look at this board, oh, that stinks for anybody who really wanted a cornerback because all three just went. You can talk about – Yes, Stingley, um, Gardner, and Junior, and mm -hmm. Booth right before us. So when I when I take a look at the board, we have our our receivers. All five receivers are still there. Malik Willis is still there. And while I love Malik Willis and I would take him 10 out of 10, the Vikings aren't going to do that. And I think we just need to get ourselves resigned to that. Kirk Cousins is going to be the quarterback of this football team. And when I take a look at the board, it's Jermaine Johnson. That I think Jermaine Johnson needs to be the pick here, and here's why. You have a massive concern to edge rusher when your defense is predicated around edge pressure. Uh, the Vikings don't have a, a true answer to that long term. And because they don't, and even if they end up keeping both of those guys, I think Jermaine Johnson's presence uh, really uh, talks about a fascinating element for this team. Uh, Hunter and Zadarius Smith are going to be uh, both um, two and three technique or uh, three-point stances, all right? You're going to stand up. They're going to put their hand in the dirt. They're going to be able to go on the inside in the A-gaps and really wreak havoc that way too. Jermaine Johnson can do all of those same things. I think you might want to utilize him as like a John Randall type. It's kind of a throwback-style comp. Put him as a smaller size guy on the inside and just let him be able to do some things. He's got a lot of power. He's got great hands. He's got length. He's got everything that you want. And him being able to learn... Uh, alongside Hunter and Smith, I think would be phenomenal for his development. And with all those things, it's a tremendous value pick, and it's a pick of need. that You're really getting a symbiotic relationship there. I would take Jermaine Johnson here. I would not be opposed to a potential trade-down offer. We did not get one that was worth it. Um, I also would not be surprised it, with a receiver. I love the fact that all the receivers are here and makes things really intriguing. But if Jermaine Johnson went and instead of like, let's say, uh, Trevor Penning, I think that's a that's a, it, we're, a situation where we're taking a wide receiver. But Jermaine Johnson's here and that's going to be my pick 10 out of 10. And I think this is a really good opportunity to explore what, what the draft could be like if edge is a priority in round one, which is where that mock draft I alluded to earlier that drops tomorrow is going to take us. So Jermaine Johnson is the pick. Joseph, I love that idea, man. Just, just burn the Packers. <laughs> like, let, let's just, let's just go get um, Olave, anyways. You know, but at the end of the day, but there's a lot of what? wide receivers on the board that they would love to have. Mm-hmm. What I like about the Jermaine yeah. Johnson is that next year 
Yes, we can get out of the Zadarius Smith contract easily if he has issues. We can get out Hunter, Daniil Hunter, even though he's happy to play this year because he just got a huge chunk of money. Um, he's going to want to probably hold out next year because next year, next two years under his contract, he's not being paid a whole lot, way under value. Um, he may hold out, and it's nice to have that next guy in line. And I also love the fact that you can rotate guys, move them inside, move them outside, and cause all sorts of grief and keep them fresh for the entire game. I think this is a brilliant move. I agree with you. Jermaine Johnson is the guy. So now we wait. Um, they took Garrett Wilson at 22, and they took Ojabo at 28. So we do uh, live in a world where they do not get Chris Olave. I am a fan of that. All right. They're offering us 42, 4, 46, and a 7th. I don't think that's a realistic offer in reality. I think that's going to be at least a fifth. So mm-hmm. as tradition, I always decline trades that just would never happen. Uh, so okay. let's take a look. Um, Dave, I can barely see. Can you read them off? Yeah, I can read them off. Hold on. Um, first off, Pats want us to trade down from pick 46 to 54 for and uh, give us their second and their fifth. I'd say that's a no. Uh-huh. Uh, Cowboys from 46 to 56, 10 spots plus their fifth. No. Yep. And we got the Jags. Want us to go from second round to third round, pick up the fifth and seventh. No. That'd be a no. So it looks like we're going to be staying at 46 and we're going to be taking uh, best available here. So best available, you have a couple quarterbacks, Matt Corral and Sam Howell. Matt Corral, I think, has tremendous potential, but it's really hard to quantify that RPO-heavy system that he runs and how that's going to translate because of what he was asked to do and, what, and more specifically, what he wasn't. I think center could be a conversation here, Gary, but I don't think there one is there's value here. And two, you can get a guy on day three that can be a starter early. Um, Cam Jurgens from Nebraska is a name to uh, look out for. And what's really cool about Jurgens? He makes his own beef jerky. That's pretty cool. Um, when we take a look at this group right here, you have Jaquan Brisker, the safety, Christian Harris, the linebacker. Um, interior off the lineman, there are some good players, but uh, Salyer I don't think is a great fit. Dylan Parham I think is, but I think this is just a little bit too early for him. Um, Ed Ingram and Cole Stranger guys that you want to look at in round three. Um, Jalen Petrie is a guy that we've taken multiple times. Uh, I think when I look at this board, Dave, there's two, two options that I think for the Vikings that they should really look at Washington corner, Kyler Gordon, who's got inside out versatility and Tariq Wolin, who is just an insane athlete that would be afforded the ability to learn with this system. And he would be given help right away. Um, I think, I think I would take Wolin here because it's not about winning early. It's about winning long-term. Kyler Gordon's an interesting one because I think he he could be considered kind of the same. But Wolin's upside is just insane. I don't be surprised if he goes round one because of how insane those traits are, the flash plays, and his athleticism profile is just through the roof. Well, let's look at him real quick. All right, six foot three. I like the height. And if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. this is the kid that uh, I saw some tape on earlier today. I may have it in my, I want to say I sent it to myself. Um, J.R. Reed was talking about him, about how f- actually fluid he is for a big guy. Yes, he is way more fluid for a big guy than he should be. Uh-huh. And I think that's a really impressive element to him. Um, Nick, Kobe Bryant is probably a late third um, or a day three player. Awesome guy. Um, won the Thorpe Award last year. But I worry about him when he doesn't have a true elf on the opposite side. 
that's going to draw all like the best receivers consistently. He thrived in spite of having, um, like, I don't think in spite is the right word, but he thrived opposite Sauce Gardner. Um, Sam, the holes in Woolen's game are is he's a cornerback two years into the position. He makes a lot of mistakes. He can get beat really easily at double moves, uh, like fakes. Uh, he has not learned how to kind of refine that element of his game and not buying into him. So you're going to have to work with him a lot on the technical side. You're not going to have to work with him at all on athleticism profile. And that is what's really intriguing about him. Oh. Uh, Joseph, Carson Strong will always tempt me because I think he's a fantastic player. Um, for the Vikings, I just don't think it's realistic until like at earliest round three. Um, we'll see. Strong has the weirdest quarterback profile in this draft because he has a top two arm and bottom two mobility, um, but he maneuvers in the pocket well. So I'm very intrigued to see where he goes, and I hope he ends up in a good spot. But we're going to take Wolin, Dave, and that's okay, Go for a, the upside. Train this kid. I just highlighted yes, it, that his tackling skills aren't the best, but that's because he hasn't done it. He needs to learn, and when you get at this level and it's learning, you're starting fresh. You're not busting bad habits. So that's a good thing. Yes, you can – you can develop great habits, and I like that. Um, get a six-round pick to go to 87. That's a ten, no. Ten drops down, and this one is almost 20 drops down for for a fifth. No. I need at least a fourth to do that. All right, so last pick of the draft we have, as Joseph alluded to, Carson Strong. This is where I think that might be a thought. Um, I don't think Calvin Austin will be here, but we're going to talk about him. Leo Chanel is an interesting one as well. A true hybrid style linebacker who thrived in run defense and rushing the passer at 90 plus PFF grades in both elements. But his coverage grade is like 74 kind of stiff in his hips, but he is a very fast, explosive athlete. If you can get those hips just a little bit more fluid, I think you can like, I've seen some people view him as a top 20 player in this class. I am not on that level. Uh, I think he's a very good player, but top 20 is very, very rich for me. Um, you could go tight end here if you want to uh, secure the future behind Irv Smith Jr. Um, with that uncertainty, uh, Troy Anderson, the linebacker from Montana State, is an interesting one. Started as a linebacker for the Bobcats. Uh, sorry, started as a running back for the Bobcats. Transitioned to linebacker and has only played the position two years. Is already farther ahead than what Chas Surratt was because – we did take Surratt after only playing the position for two years, coming from quarterback. But I think Anderson is much more apt to be a successful linebacker. He's got a better athletic profile, and he already understands how to shed blockers, which is the thing that Chad Surratt could not do. So those are some intriguing options. Ed Ingram, the interior offensive lineman from LSU, is one as well. But at the end of the day, I think you got to take Calvin Austin the third. Um, we passed on wide receiver in the first round. We didn't even look at one in the second round because the value was just kind of weird there. Calvin Austin the third athletically compares to Tyreek Hill, and he's just a tremendous, tremendous football player. That is the guy that I want um, for the Minnesota Vikings. Um, I want that speed. I want that ability to win over the middle. I want that ability to stretch the field deep, um, utilize him in gadget-type plays. You can do all of those things with Calvin Austin the third. And he has a much bigger catch radius than his 5'7 frame uh, would suggest. So all of those things considered, I you need receiver depth on this team. That's why we talked about it as a potential in round one. And I think it, it would be a very fun add to have uh, Calvin Austin the third. I like this right here. The run after the catch? Oh, mm-hmm. he's a maven, man. He's tremendous after the catch. All right. Let's go with Calvin Austin the third. All right. And we'll we'll kind of summarize this here real quick. We took Jermaine Johnson at number 12 because we could not find a viable trade back option, which I believe with Quasi's um a background in the market. I think that's that really needs to be talked about here with how that he's going to play the draft. He's going to maximize the market, whether that be trading up, trading down. He's going to do whatever he feels he needs to in order to get great value. And I think that can't be understated enough. 
So Jermaine Johnson at 12 was a pick because of the trade options at the time. Um, Tariq Wolin, the cornerback from UTSA. Calvin Austin III, the wide receiver from Memphis. All really, really nice players. I think the Vikings would be in a great position to get all of them. And I think all of them could be contributors early. And long-term, they have sky-high ceilings, which I think is also something Quasi is going to be prioritizing. The sky-high ceiling, because it's maximizing your market value. And that's what he did on Wall Street. That's what he tried to do when he helped rebuild the analytics department for the the San Francisco 49ers. Uh And then with the... With the Browns, they were prioritizing high upside guys too. So you're looking at somebody who understands what to do with the market, and I'm very intrigued to see how he continues to shape and build this roster in his image. I agree. And I'm curious, when we get to trades, what trade chart is he using? We'll find out. We'll figure it out after the fact. Yeah, because there are a few of them floating out there. the Fitzgerald Spielberger chart uh, is what they use it over the cap and what I believe is also used at PFF. The Rich Hill chart is considered kind of the more modern one. And then the Jimmy Johnson chart is the one that everybody knows. Um, right. There are different, uh, I'm sure in, in draft rooms, there are models and variations that are probably hybrids of some of these charts to try and really maximize value and really understand who you're dealing with because every team's going to have a slightly different model on how they maximize mm-hmm. market And they values. may so, weigh different aspects differently, you know, Mm -hmm. um, of players that may give them different values to say yes, yeah or nay. But I'm curious because he comes from that background, how this is going to work if he's just not going to try to undersell like Rick Spielman did all all the time. It should be interesting to see if he gets value on trades because surely he will be trading on uh, draft day if anybody's willing to trade with him. And uh, Mm -hmm. there is that one little bit that nobody wants to lose a trade to the new guy, the analytic guy. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how that goes. But great draft. On the flip side, side, Dave, you can't let your first trade, Mm -hmm. you can't get fleeced. So I would not be surprised if Kwesi is a little extra careful when it comes to that first trade to make sure that he is not being taken advantage of, or there's a perception he's being taken advantage of, and he might want to outright win that first one to really set the tone for the rest of his uh, tenure, which I believe personally is why that Daniil Hunter was not traded. And he is still a member of the Minnesota Vikings because the public perception would have been, he lost the trade. Right. And you are probably correct. hundred percent. Ask Jonas for the answers. <laughs> Jonas, we Jonas love Jonas. Is an incredibly smart guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Um, he's he's a he's a very smart thinker when it comes to football, and I look forward to being able to talk with him more as he continues work here with us at climbing the pit. Um, hopefully, we can get him on here one of these days. But the time difference between here and Germany is a little difficult to try and Six make hours. work. But we'll see what we can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's all, it's 3am now for him. So that, that time difference is a little wonky, but Dave, this was a great first show. Um, I agree. We had a lot of fun, a lot of really interesting, uh, questions here in the comments. Keep them coming. We are going to continue to address questions as they come and really formulate it into our conversations. Um, and this is going to be a fun ride. We've got Lake Monster with us. We've got Dave just rolling out the fantastic graphics. <laughs> and this is going to be a really, really fun show here moving forward in this offseason. There's going to be some really fun stuff. We're going to do breakdowns of all the Vikings additions. We're going to be that maybe even diving into the vault and talking about old school Vikings. I know I've really wanted to dive into some Dante Culpepper. And I want to dive into Jeff George his tenure as a Minnesota oh, Viking because he threw Bam. one of the most beautiful footballs I've ever seen. But until then, we're going to keep up with the draft stuff. We're going to have some fun. And be sure, G- April 29th, 5.30 Central Standard Time, we will be going live from Lake Monster Brewing in St. Paul, Minnesota, talking Vikings NFL draft. Make sure you join us live. We will be taking live questions from the audience 
come up and say hi and meet me. Um, but feel free to buy us a beer. Bring us a slice of pizza. We're going to be having fun. We're going to be uh, interacting with you guys, and it's going to be a really good time. The only thing that's missing is we're not going to have Dave there, but he's going to be running the ship from his nice little Vikings cave, yes. making sure that we don't screw things up and we do a good job on our end. That's right. And tomorrow night, I don't know if there's in the huddle. I suspect there will be because there's been some transactions. Guys haven't mm-hmm. talked about it, but we'll find out. Guaranteed, though, on Wednesday, we do have a Vikings happy hour again from Lake Monster Brewing. Because why? Beer makes us happy. And Lake Monster Brewing mm-hmm. brews the best in the cities. Come join us. Come talk to the guys. We're setting up so that, especially during April 29th, day two of the draft, we will have fan questions. People will be able to walk up, grab the mic, and ask their questions in front of the camera. It should be great. Mm-hmm. Thursday, I don't know if there's going to be a Viking hot takes. Hopefully, Eric and the great Flip Mazze will get back to me on that. And, of course, on Saturday, we will have two old bloggers with me and Darren as we wrap up this week, obviously three signings. We got stuff to talk about, and we still owe you the special teams deep dive, deep thoughts. And until then, keep your till mon- then, keep your Mondays purple. From Dave, from myself, Tyler, skull everybody, skull Vikings. Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell, and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout-out goes to our partners, The Daily Norseman, where the best Vikings content can be found, and to Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.